ago we recorded chapter one and then we finished a bottle of wine now we're drinking moscow mules and here we are hello how is your day going well i already talked last episode about how i left my old job it was literally my last day and now my day is even better because one i don't have to go back there but two i finished a bottle of wine with you and had delicious snacks and now i'm drinking a moscow mule and we had a great first episode of season two. That's right. We're both a little toasty. So, a little crisp around the edges. (laughs) So we'll see how this episode goes. Welcome. Welcome to our fucked up podcast. I don't know. I don't know. Welcome to us. Pull up a chair, take out your notebook and join us. On this journey. Today we're reading <laughs> Dobby's Warning. Dobby's Warning, Chapter 2 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Hell yeah. Who won last episode? Okay, so last episode, the easy win went to Harry. Not because he's the only person in the chapter that you like besides Hedwig. You don't get a lot of time with Hedwig in that chapter, which is sad. But Harry, you know, he does a really good job of like reigning in his frustration with Vernon when he's being a dick to him. He gets to be a teenage boy and like, I know he, it, it doesn't end well for him, but he gets to do like the pretending to turn the bush into fire or set the bush on fire or whatever to Dudley and like gets to tease Dudley back and pick on him back. She doesn't get to do. So like, I just, I want to give him a win for getting to be a teenage boy. The loser for the chapter was hard to choose between all the dicks that are in the chapter because we hate all of the Dursleys. Tara always has a tough time choosing between dicks. Never, actually. Not interested. Not necessarily not interested. So, Dicks. (laughs) Wow, you're going to have so much editing to do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I had a really hard time choosing. I had a really difficult time choosing between... (laughs) <laughs> did you not want to say hard time after i made the dick joke <laughs> i don't know okay we have ascended to a higher plane ladies and gentlemen thank you to that bottle of wine that tara brought i'm sorry thank you gene for that bottle of wine oh from gene shout out to gene gene <laughs> So anyway, back to the loser of chapter one. I could have chosen any of the Dursleys, but I chose Dudley because he, ugh, I just hate how we cape at Harry being like, oh, it's your birthday. Ha ha ha. I know. But you don't have any friends. It just makes me sad. So he sucks. Yeah. So he loses. Well, maybe his first time losing compared to his dad because his dad is really good at losing. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So are you going to read the outline I wrote? Yeah. I don't even remember what I wrote. Today. It's not very long. Thank God. Yeah, these last two have been very short. We'll see what we that can do to keep them long. short. <laughs> I'll see what I can do to keep them short. Yeah, not me. I'm going <laughs> to let those things go on and on. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter two, Dobby's warning. Harry sees the tennis balls looking at him again, which is pretty creepy. The tennis balls are attached to a weird-looking creature who refers to himself in third person as Dobby. 
Dobby is there to see Harry and warn him not to go back to school, which is the last thing Harry wants to hear on an already shitty birthday. Harry learns that being nice to Dobby, who says he is a house elf, makes him inconsolable because nobody is ever nice to him. Dobby is basically the president of the Harry Potter fan club, no, I am, bitch, and spends several pages telling Harry how great he is, but also that bad things he can't explain are going to happen at Hogwarts, which, again, is not making Harry's day better. Harry's kindness triggers Dobby into making really loud noises of gratitude <laughs> that interrupt what was probably a really stupid punchline to whatever racist joke Uncle Vernon was trying to tell. Uncle Vernon threatens Harry which is the norm, and then goes back to his fancy dinner party. When Harry refuses to say that he won't go back to Hogwarts, Dobby rushes downstairs and destroys Aunt Petunia's fancy pudding. Harry tries to stop him, but he's too late, and this ruins Vernon's evening. They promise awful punishment for destroying the pudding, and Uncle Vernon's big business deal and Harry really and truly had the worst birthday ever. Frowny face. The Dursleys lock Harry in his room and basically starve him while promising that he'll never go back to Hogwarts. He spends at least three weeks eating next to nothing and feeling like shit until he has a dream that he's in a cage at the zoo, then wakes up to see Ron Weasley staring at him through the bars on his window. Thank God. Let's get the fuck out of Dursleyland ASAP. That was great. <laughs> I do want to say that Dobby rushes downstairs and destroys Aunt Petunia's fancy pudding. It sounds like a video that's on Pornhub or something like that. <laughs> and maybe the title of this episode, we'll see. So, we finally meet a new character at the very beginning of this episode. Dobby! Tennis balls. Tennis balls. <laughs> I just, like, I just was reading it and I was like, okay, so... They keep referring to his eyes as tennis balls. And I was yeah. like, that's creepy. Yeah. I can't look at tennis balls the same. He did, doesn't have any pupils or anything. It's just those. <laughs> tennis balls. <laughs> so here's the thing. I forget how much Dobby annoys me. Mm. And like, he'll get even more frustrating through this book. Absolutely. In this first chapter, I'm like, or this, well, it's the second chapter. The first chapter you interact with him. I find him endearing at first. And then I'm like, okay, we get it. And then you're mad at him because he yeah. ruins Harry's day and you don't know what's going on. But knowing yeah. Dobby's arc makes you go, oh, I yeah. just want to forgive you for being a pain in the ass. Exactly. I agree. I was trying to read this the <clears throat> entire time looking at it from the perspective of Dobby rather than being like, you're annoying little fuck. The <laughs> fact that he knows this important information is coming here truly to be a messenger of warning in that, like, Harry, you can't go back to Hogwarts because all the shit is happening that is dangerous specifically to you. And Dobby's putting himself in danger. What, of course, he does at the end of the chapter with literally ruining Harry's, not only his day, but his, like, fucking week because right. of what they do to him. It literally is like the cap on top of an already shitty birthday. Yeah. Because it is, it's still Harry's birthday. It almost feels like it should be the worst birthday part two or something like right. that, you know? 
I also tried to kind of look at it from a different angle of like, okay, Dobby, you're really infuriating, but like, let's look at why you're doing this and what your motivations are. Actually, something else that I wrote down is along the lines of something that happens throughout the book. This is the first real indication that we get at all in the series of the wizard class system. Yes. Um, it sets <coughs> things up really nicely for what we see at the burrow and the Weasleys versus the Malfoys mm-hmm. in Diagon Alley. Even though, like, Heir of Slytherin stuff that we see later on, I hadn't even thought of anything until right now, but we see the house elves, which is a connection to Malfoy, and then very soon we'll see, like, the gnomes in the garden mm-hmm. in, in relation to the Weasleys. Right. Things like that. So that's something that's really <coughs> interesting and a new theme that we have not seen yet. Also, just not necessarily even the class system, but the different creatures in the magical world and how there are different intelligent creatures in the magical world. In the last book, we met Fluffy. Fluffy doesn't communicate like a human, but the centaurs do. So the house elves are up there with the centaurs. That's and we've obviously point. met the, the goblins, you know. Yeah. And so like, oh they're in this different, they're in this different level. In the next book, we're going to get the hippogriff. Even in this book, mm-hmm. when we get the, the basilisk, the mandrakes. Yeah. The mandrakes are in this book. Yeah. Like you get these magical creatures, but like, house elves and centaurs and goblins they're also a different i don't want to say like an intelligent being because i they're categorized differently even in the fantastic beasts book but like the way that they fall in that class system even in this book you learn that house elves have magic that they can do without a wand or whatever and they're the only ones of those three that we actually ever see do magic you don't see goblins do magic other than opening vaults at gringotts and you don't see the centaurs do magic. You don't see the centaurs well, do magic. it's like, interesting because now that you say that, there's like the divination aspect. But the true like tangible magic. There's, well, and we know, that, we know that they refer to wizards as wand carriers. That comes out in the seventh book from mm-hmm. Griphook, the goblin. But elves are the only ones we see do magic. Like we see Dobby do a hover charm, which later on Harry is blamed for. Yeah. We see Dobby apparate. Yeah. So house elves, and it's a huge thing later on in the series about the magic house elves can do, and we don't hear about it because, I mean, Dobby is a much more central character than Ferenz or Griphook, who are like the most important centaur and goblin that we meet. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet several important house elves, so I'm sure that they can do magic, yeah. but like... The magic that Dobby does here is very minimal, but at the same time, I'm just realizing that they're the ones you see do magic. Yeah. This is also the first time we see anyone apparate. You see Dumbledore apparate in the first book, but Harry sees someone apparate. Yeah, that's true. Which is a different thing than than us seeing it because we're just like, oh, it's magical. Yeah. And that's it. You're not thinking about what it is. One, we don't know what apparition is and we won't know for several Mm -hmm. more books. Or the hazard involved with it, Right. Like, we don't know the details of that. Also, to put it on the record, out of anything in this entire series, the number one thing I wish I could do is apparate. Same. 100% fuck driving in traffic. Like, if I could just apparate. I would apparate every fucking I would get so much more sleep. There's some stat, like, that you waste, like, a couple days sitting at a red light in your entire life. Like, you wouldn't have to worry about that. At least several weeks. Yes. I think it's up to weeks. I think you're right. 
You would save so much just I, by being able to Yeah, do that. that's the number one thing I would want to do Same is be here. able to apparate. Also, this is your first way of seeing how Harry interact with another magical being who's not a wizard, and he chooses to be kind to Dobby. Because Harry's a nice guy, and like this is such an important callback when you're getting to book six and seven with Creature. Dobby is literally ruining his day, and he's begging Dobby. He's not like... You fucking out hell self get out of here what well, yeah. he is not what it is but at the same time he's not unkind to him he's he's like why don't you sit down maybe you'll feel better that's where dobby just continues to have his harry potter love fest it's so interesting that you say that because <clears throat> when we had our puffs party we were talking about the alternative houses of the trio mm-hmm. and i even think i said this in the first season at some point how Harry is like a Slytherin, Hermione's like a Ravenclaw, and Ron is like a Hufflepuff. But somebody said Harry is like a Hufflepuff. It was you. It was me. Hell yeah. And this is one of those situations where it is, like, really apparent. So That is a hill I will die on. If Harry wasn't a Gryffindor, he'd be a Hufflepuff. Yeah. I even think a lot of people judge Harry a lot more for some of his actions, but if you're really looking at things... In this sort of timeline and seeing how he interacts with other people, like he's a lot more kind than you really think. And then Ron seems a lot more <clears throat> whiny and perhaps, I mean, he's not very ambitious like a Slytherin. I don't think but... Ron is a Slytherin either. Yeah. I don't follow the fan theory or whatever it is that the trio represent the other houses. Yeah. And Harry's really the problem with it. It's not Ron. I think Ron is a Hufflepuff. Secondary to Gryffindor. Secondary to Gryffindor. Ron is absolutely a Gryffindor. Honestly, out of the trio, the one that is the least Gryffindor, and not that she's not, but is Hermione. And it's because she almost hat stalled, not because I don't think that she is brave. She's got the most Slytherin tendencies out of the three of them, if you want my honest opinion. Yeah, I think that's true. I think out of the three of them, Hermione has the most of all the houses. If you were to do like some kind of pie graph or whatever, I think that she's still a Gryffindor first. I think she's still a Ravenclaw second, and I think that she's probably even Hufflepuff and Slytherin. I yeah. think she's got that. I love this house discussion. <laughs> I feel like I could talk about it forever. Obviously, I'm a writer and I Slytherin, and I've always seen myself as like a Slytherclaw. But uh, truly, after Puffs, I was like, ooh, I don't know. Now am I a Slytherpuff? Like, it made me like think about it. I think I'm still pretty Slytherclaw, but Pufflepuff percentage maybe rose a little bit. It's just so interesting to me. I love personality tests. I love the Myers-Briggs and stuff. I could probably do a whole episode on which Myers-Briggs they are, and we've talked about that too. Right, and there's been people who've like tried to assign them on the internet. Yeah. And Um, we decided that you, according to the internet, you were Draco? Draco. I'm an INTJ. And, and you are... I'm an ISFJ, which mm. no one is surprised to hear the mm. other chosen one. Oh, wait a minute. Ding, ding, ding. What's that? Oh, we have uh, the first new feature on this podcast. This is the Neville Countdown. This is I the amount of times name. we all knew that <laughs> met. This is the Neville Countdown. This is... That's not fair. <laughs> every single time Tara talks about Neville in any way, shape, or form. I will be counting it. And at the end of the season, we will see how many times did Tara talk about Neville. Now, some of you may be asking, will I be going back to season one and counting every time? Bitch, no. I ain't got time for that. She talked about him, I don't know, 500 times. I, that's too many. I got shit to do. We're just going to start with this season. But right now, the Neville counter is at one. Roll it up, counter one. Wow. 
So anyway, we're talking about personality types, and according to the Myers Briggs, that's who I am in this series. What? Who are you? I'm sorry. I'm. I'm I. That. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> we are on the second page of this chapter. Anywho, <laughs> so really quick before we go away from this, because this happened yesterday. So when my sister came to see Puss, um, I was like, "What uh, house are you in, Josh? Her boyfriend?" And she was like, "I don't know. How do you figure that out?" So she literally created a Pottermore account. And yesterday at 1.52 p.m., she texted me a screenshot, and guess what? how she is? She's a Hufflepuff. No, she's a Gryffindor. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Welcome, so, Natalie. Uh, the other Natalie. So <laughs> Natalie Zunchak is not my sister. I mean, she's, she's, she's my sister, but she's not my like, sister. So Natalie Bowers, yeah, she's a Gryffindor, which I was also shocked. I thought she would be a Hufflepuff. And so, I know the feeling. Yes. Yeah, so I responded with boo. <laughs> and she said, IDK, what that even means. And I said, Gryffindor is the main one. Harry, etc., are in it. They're the brave house. And she said, so you just like Harry? And I was like, no, I'm a Slytherin. Gryffindor and Slytherin are rivals. And then with three like angry faces, she said, do, which is a inside joke between me and my sister. So only Natalie will get that. But... I also think that she is probably a little bit more Hufflepuff Gryffindor. Natalie, so. we're the same. Yes, yes. I think that you and Natalie are probably very You know similar. who else were like Natalie? Neville Longbottom. Oh, that's two. Okay, but then Dobby runs downstairs and really fucks shit up. Levitating the beautiful cake that Petunia created. And he um, destroys it. After Dobby levitates the pudding... He disappears. Harry's like covered in this stuff. And Vernon's like, okay, well, you have to clean this up. It's described several times that he's like shaking. shaking. He literally is living in this moment of fear of what is happening to him next. And that's so sad. And also then this fucking ministry owl comes in and drops a letter on top of Mrs. Mason's head. Apparently she's afraid of birds, which I can relate, Mrs. Mason, because birds are kind of fucking (laughs) terrifying. Um, Although owls seem much less terrifying than geese. I don't want to talk to you about Canadian geese because oh those fuckers. Have you ever seen like a YouTube video of like a cockatiel or something like that? No. Oh my God, they're so fucking cute. They're I have friends who have birds and I'm like, I'm sure you're very cute. I house sat once for a woman with cats and birds and it was mostly just interesting to watch the cats watch the birds. <laughs> Busby Berkeley. If this woman, maybe I want to give her a credit. Maybe she had a traumatic experience with That's bird. true. That's true. And so an owl dropping a letter on her head would be fucking terrifying. I get that. So that sucks for Vernon. Like, he was working hard, even though he's a fucking asshat. Can we quickly talk about how Harry's already been through all of this stuff. He just turned 12, but he's shaking in fear because of this incident. Now, I think it's because things happen so quickly. Like, truly, this creature appeared in his bed, ran downstairs, made this happen, and... Clearly, in the last chapter, Vernon really made clear what he was supposed to do. He said it three times. So naturally, it's like, okay, if I fuck this up, things are going to be bad. I think it's very notable that he is actually shaking in that moment. So I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. The first few chapters of every book is literally going to be me being, I'm so sad because they treat this child horribly. And like we said in the last episode, this is the worst. There were moments in this situation where it felt like... They were taking this kid, I mean, close, I guess, and locking him in a dungeon away from the sunshine and the, the way that 
they put like a dog door in his door and give him cold soup. It's like he's a prisoner. We live in Cleveland and a couple years ago, I worked for a news organization and I remember about the guy who abducted three young girls and they were finally rescued. And this made me think of that. Obviously those women went through some horrible things that aren't even comparable to what Harry is experiencing. Right. But it made me think of that at the very least. This is like the high point. High point isn't right, but like, you know what I mean? It's the pinnacle of their abuse. Of their abuse. And I never thought about how abusive they are in this first part of this book. And the sad thing is, is like Harry's stuck in this place. So the letter says, you know, if you do this again, you could be expelled. And he's like, I can't magic myself out. I can't go back to school. He's literally trapped. I think we've all felt ourselves in this position where we feel like there's there's nothing nothing we can can do do for ourselves. I can't compare those type of things to what a 12 year old boy who's being locked in his room and starved and he's sharing his soup with Hedwig. Yeah, that's the and next thing I was going to say too. I think yeah. Harry is much better to Hedwig in the early books and his later books. He like yells at her and shit. But also he's a teenage boy. So we'll talk about that yeah, later. But like, happens. you know, she's not pleased or whatever, but he's like, here, you can have my vegetables. So his food consumption is soup broth. So two things based on what you said. First of all, it's unbelievable to see at this point, we're at the beginning of the second book, and we know what else he's about to experience in these next five books, five to six books. But it's unbelievable at this point, he's at such a low point because he's got so much to learn and grow still. Mm -hmm. But also at one point he says something like, well, if I'm alive in a few weeks. That was one of the moments where I was like, he's being starved here. And, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you mentioned Hedwig, too, because the moment where he's giving, like, the vegetables from the soup to Hedwig, it's really cruel. This is pretty terrible. It made me think of... So, <laughs> this is one of my other favorite podcasts. It's not Harry Potter related, but my favorite murder is one that I listen to. Yeah. I'm way into true crime and fictional crime. You all know that I love Agatha Christie. She's my other bitch. But there are some stories that they tell where the murderer or the criminal at some point is found out. And it even made me think of some of those. Like, what's going to happen when the Dursleys are found out that they're keeping this child in their house? Mm -hmm. Like, eventually it's going to come to light. The child is going to grow up or the child is going to die. And, like, you're trying to save face and keep up your appearances. I mean, it makes me think of that BBC comedy from years ago, um, Keeping Up Appearances with Mrs. Bucket. What the fuck are you going to do at that point? Like, it almost feels like the Dursleys have dug a hole at this point. That is almost too deep for them to get out, unless magic comes in and saves the day, which of course it does. The way that it's written is pretty scary and dark, I think. So before we wrap up the book, I just have a few other little things. Me too. First, fucking Vernon. I mean, we know he's terrible, but he's racist. His jokes are racist. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm intrigued to know what the fuck the punchline of this joke is. Yeah. Before I say he's racist as fuck, but he's racist as fuck. Uh, yeah, I mean, like character-wise, we know. Like, there's just no way. It'd be, it's called a Japanese golfer joke, and I'm like... Why does it matter? Ew. Yeah. And then he makes some joke about American plumbers, too, which, to us, it doesn't quite seem as a big deal, since we're American, perhaps. It's like, okay, what are you going to say about American plumbers? But I wonder if it was something along the same lines. I also want to point out how quickly Harry realized that Dobby took the letters. Yes. Like. I think he was primed for it. Oh, absolutely. We talked about how when he was in the cupboard under the stairs, he had a lot of time with his thoughts and he got really good at thinking things through, but it's very quick. He's like, your friends don't even write to you. 
How do you know that my friends haven't written to me, you little bitch? Yeah. Also, in that instance, when he's like, give me my friend's letters, and Dobby's like, yeah, no, I have to do this instead. And he like runs downstairs, and Harry follows him. And there's that moment of desperation where Harry's like, please don't do that. They'll kill me. Dobby doesn't understand the situation. As much as I appreciate what Dobby is doing here, which is very well intended, he doesn't understand the situation that Harry is in here. Harry has given him lots of opportunities to understand it, and he doesn't. Your cats are noisy poopers. Yeah, they are. Do you guys hear that? Probably not. But one of the cats is in the basement, which is not necessarily close to where we are right now. And we can hear them scratching the litter anyways. But <laughs> Dobby is so focused on trying to get his point through that he doesn't even want to listen to what's going on in the per current moment. Personally, I think Harry is more in the right here. Like, this is my current situation. I have to worry about this now. Dobby is not the brightest person in the series. Yeah. Dobby has the most pure heart out of anyone in the series. You can mm -hmm. fight me on that. But his heart is the most pure. And there's a lot of really pure, innocent, sweet hearts in this series. Dobby is so focused on what could happen to Harry. He doesn't see what's happening to Harry here. But he's given an opportunity by Harry being like, look at this. This is the life I lead to be able to intervene. If Dobby has taken it upon himself and, and has been brave enough to step outside his boundaries as a house elf, he has the capabilities of going to Dumbledore and being like, hey, this child is being abused. What can we do? And even though Dumbledore has his own fucking reasons and Harry having to be at the Dursleys and blah, 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 this could have been intervened with Obviously not in the first year because no one knew and even though you have McGonagall's suspicions in the first chapter of the first book, you don't know that. You don't yeah. know that they're going to abuse Harry in that first book. You just see that they're not great people. But this is an opportunity not to like go too much into the next chapter. It takes Ron and Fred and George being like, Mom, they're starving him. And Mrs. Weasley being the first adult that has to contend with that information. Yeah. He's not listening to Harry. He's not listening to what's clear because Vernon has already come upstairs and threatened Harry's life. Yeah. He's so focused on his task, which is a flaw in Dobby. Doesn't make him a bad guy. And in general, not just his creatures, but people not listening to Harry. This is a huge problem through the whole series. People not listening to Harry. Yeah. Dobby could literally grab his wrist and apparate with him out of there to the burrow, to Hogwarts, diagonally, to Hagrid's hut, apparate him legitimately just outside and be like, what do you want to do? Yeah. But he's so focused, like you said, on his task. So one, I wonder, is the different home life between the Dursleys and the Malfoys. Like, I wonder how much of a difference that is impacting. Obviously, I don't think Lucius and Narcissa are abusing Malfoy. They're not I, abusing they're Malfoy, not. but they are abusing Dobby. Sure. And Harry and Dobby have that huge parallel. So maybe that's something where... Maybe Dobby's Dobby trying to put blinders to onto it? Oh, I think... Well, he definitely has blinders on, for sure. I mean, it's interesting. Like, think if Dobby would have apparated him out of there and, and whatnot, what would have happened? I'm really struggling because I'm trying to put myself in Dobby's perspective a little bit more, which is something I have never done before mm -hmm. because he has seemed so irritating to me. This is just a very frustrating situation. I also just think of how Harry has vanquished Voldemort now twice mm -hmm. and it's not going to be his last time. So that element of like, Harry's capable of more than you think, Dobby. But also, something that I ran into, the Dursleys are continually 
growing to see what magic as a whole is capable of. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked in the last episode about how Petunia potentially is a little bit on to, okay, Harry isn't allowed to do magic here. He's not as scary as you think. But he is still able to get out of things Mm -hmm. more and more. It's not through direct magic or... It's through these connections he has already made. He might not be able to directly perform magic, but he has ways of getting out of things. It's very similar to the whole Norbert chapter, where I was like, okay, what's the reason for this? And of course, it was the whole thing about, like, where does the egg come from and Mm -hmm. and all of that. And here, I think it is to show the Dursleys... I mean, there's a little bit of comedy there and you want to see them get what's coming to them. But showing that magic has these capabilities that they aren't aware of and that Harry is always going to be able to transpire through whatever is thrown his way. So You saying all those things made me think of the fact that Dobby is a house elf. And Dobby is spending most of this chapter talking about how great Harry is. Maybe it's not a flaw in Dobby for not seeing an opportunity to save Harry from the Dursleys, but it's more along the lines of, like, Dobby sees Harry as this infallible wizard who would absolutely be able to handle these muggles. And so Harry even being like, they'll kill me, that doesn't process to Dobby because Dobby lives in a house where he is the abused one, where the 12-year-old in his house is treated like a prince. And even though Harry is giving him an opportunity to see that that's not how it works in this household, Dobby doesn't see that yeah. because that's Dobby not where... Dobby doesn't know muggles either. Yeah, he doesn't understand how muggles work. And maybe it's Harry's fear that makes him say that. The idea of these people who can't do magic doesn't calculate in Dobby's head as this is a real thing. But he knows that the Dursleys can't do to Harry what the Malfoys do to him. So I recant what I said about maybe this Dobby's opportunity. We talk about all the imperfections and the the good things and the bad things about all of these characters. And this is an imperfection of Dobby based on who he is. I mean, it's nothing that he can change, you know? It also makes me think he is coming to warn Harry based on these other wizards that he's always around. And he isn't even really thinking about that. He's just thinking of Harry Potter and he's elevating him to the celebrity status. And it's kind of interesting because in a way he's looking at him as being like this amazing wizard but he's also trying to protect him from other wizards and the Malfoys are shit talking muggles 24-7 like 29-7 somehow they find four extra hours a day five extra hours a day to bitch about how terrible muggles are that's how the Malfoys operate so like Dobby probably is like what the Okay, Harry, you're just being a dramatic 12-year-old. These are muggles. You can handle them. Yeah. You know, maybe Dobby doesn't know they're not allowed to do magic outside of school. Maybe they pretty go and get away with it in his house because... That's what I was going to say. Maybe he has connections. Yeah. Here's another instance of the physical abuse. This is maybe the most that they'll actually mention other than Petunia trying to not carry unconscious with a frying pan. We're talking about Vernon. And laughing Mm -hmm. like a maniac, he dragged Harry back upstairs. Oh, yeah. Drag a child upstairs. That's laughing like a maniac. Like, it's. You're enjoying abusing a child. And then he had them put the bars on Harry's window. And then he has the weird dream where he's like person in the zoo and then he wakes up and Ron is staring at him and that is the end of the chapter. We've never been so happy to see Ron, seriously. The end of chapter two. Cool. What you got to say about the movie? Okay, listen. I just feel so bad for Hedwig. She's like fighting to get out of that cage. Yeah. And I'm like, you poor thing. And 
Also, Harry is very sassy. He does the exact same line of, I don't mean to be rude, but it's not a good time for house elf to be in my bedroom. He says that in the book and the movie, he says it so perfectly in the movie. Like I think in the book, it comes across as very sweet and polite and Harry is very sweet and polite. And in the movie, there's that twin 12 year old sarcasm, like this is really fucking not a good time. Yeah. But I love how he says it in the fucking movies. So good. I think it's interesting because in the movie, I feel like Harry is still like at the same level, but Dobby is a little less subservient to Harry. He like, isn't. He's not as crying and dramatic. No. He also is that. bouncing on the bed. Like, he's like, yeah. Ooh, this is fun. Or, like, exactly. Wizards have beds too, Dobby. Like, yeah. what? This is not a new thing. I think, again, it's a device in place because it's a movie, not a book. It's a little bit more digestible by mm-hmm. a wider yeah. audience. So I think that might be why, but it's very noticeable. Dobby is sobbing a lot more and a lot more dramatic in the book than he is in the movie. Another big change, mm-hmm. no letter. No letter. They save that for so five. Can, yeah. movie five, rather. I don't think that we're missing anything with the letter. No. Because we still see it. It does make me wonder, though, like how inefficient their magic tracking abilities are. Like, they can't track it to the specific person, but they're like, well, he lives at this address, so it must be Harry. Right, this is the first time we see that, but, but nothing has come out future. of it. And then in the future, yeah. you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because, yeah, because I feel like in the same instance, that means Fred and George can get away with all kinds of shit at the borough. You can just be like, oh, well, it wasn't them, it was Arthur. Yeah. It's like the very first instance of the corruption in the magical government. And corruption, I think, is the wrong word. I think it's corruption. It's inefficiency. Inefficiency it's, is the correct or word, like I think. Or like assumptions or something. Yeah, because like, I think corruption is, is a different, whole different entity, which also yeah. very much exists. It's perhaps more of a, uh, a, a very flaw. early foreshadowing to it, because it's still there. Yeah, and then you get this letter minutes later, like, okay, so you're able to track this. Yeah. Because then it makes me think of the snake incident at the zoo and some other just, like, what about Marge in the next episode? That's but so that, is all, that is all non-trackable magic. Hagrid well, is like, have you ever done something that you couldn't explain? And Harry doesn't have a wand. He's not, he doesn't have his wand now. It's in, his, it's in the cupboard under the stairs, whereas Dobby is doing real magic. Well, then this is no fault necessarily of what's been put in place in the books and the movie. Then it makes me wonder then if people can do things without them even realizing it, what's the harm in students being able to use a hover charm or something completely harmless? Harmless. I think here the problem is like not differentiating between wand magic and wandless magic. Yeah, absolutely. Because Dobby can't do wand magic and Harry can't do wandless magic. And very few wizards can. It is a huge flaw in the ministry. Them having it not in the movie, fine, because it's well explained anyway. I like that it's not in the movie a bit. I don't but. care. I don't necessarily. I wouldn't be mad if it wasn't in the movie. My favorite thing that they changed is that the pudding falls on. That's her head. A, the next thing I was gonna Fucking say. Fucking love it. I'm and like, I agree. Yes. Drop the pudding on her head. Because you talked a little bit about the owl and the fear of birds kind of thing. But here it's also another opportunity that I think is a little bit more effective for a movie to shit on Mrs. Mason. So yeah, I agree. I do like that change as well. There's some really good humor there. The Dursleys have to be almost cartoonish villains in every instance. Yeah. Or it's too dark. Yeah. Like they're almost worse villains than Voldemort and Dumbridge because of their willingness to abuse this child. 
And we can't have that in the movie because it takes away from the main plot. But you can still see that they're not good people. I think that, and with all the directors that have gone through the movies, um, Chris Columbus does probably the best job at keeping them cartoony. Also, the actors they chose to play the Masons are the stuffiest looking motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, that's fine. It's interesting to think about that with the Dursleys being cartoony. Especially with these early movies, though, it's better to make them cartoony at this moment before it does get too dark, I think. Mm -hmm. And we tend to see less and less and less of them. I wonder if that's why later then Umbridge is so much more of a big thing. Because Voldemort's obviously evil, as well as others like Bellatrix, etc. Because, I mean, they're killing people. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Here is someone who is around children who's abusing them. And in the movies in particular, the Dursleys don't get to that point of abuse, whereas Umbridge does. Mm -hmm. And there's also been that little gap there. Like, we don't see the Dursleys in four. We don't see them in four, yes. and we barely see them in five. Yeah. So at that point, it's a little bit more removed. We don't see them in six either. So it's important to call back and be like, hey, Umbridge is bad. And yes, we love to hate her. But don't forget what these Dursleys are doing right. in the books. And the movies do not touch on that. And because of storytelling and saying we have other important things to get to, it's fine because the movies are a different medium. One of the things in the movie that I really like that they called back to is that when Harry is arguing with Dobby. So Dobby is standing in the doorway and he's hovering the pudding and Harry is standing there watching him and he's saying, Harry Potter must say you must not go back to Hogwarts. And Harry says, Hogwarts is my home. That's not in the book. It's in the book without those words. It really calls back to the first movie really well, calls back to the whole storyline really well without being too much. Because sometimes I feel like maybe the movies get real cheesy, like the end of the second movie is real cheesy to me. I also think that the filmography of this movie is really strong. One of the things that I really loved was it's the very, very end of the chapter where Harry is like hearing the car coming, but the lighting on him sleeping in bed versus the camera work on how you see the car coming in. The first couple movies, they're not as advanced as the other movies, but I really think there's some really nice moments. I like the change of the line too, that Harry, in the book, he says, I'll be in my room making no noise and pretending I'm not there. And in the movie, he says, exist. I don't exist. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, it's just like, it's, it's a, a heavier word yeah. that I think conveys the message mm -hmm. stronger. That's the other thing. And I think it comes a little bit out of perhaps the abuse. Like he is almost kind of in a dream state and he hears like the rattling of the bars and that causes him to look up and see Ron. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the movie, it's not quite as severe. I mean, I think that's based on the earlier changes that they make as well. Well, they're not but choosing still. to show that the, the, he's having the dream. Yeah. Which is I really like because then Harry having the dream that we see isn't happening till the fourth movie. Right. Where Harry's having where significant dreams. But I think that this chapter is covered really well in the movie. Overall, I think so too. I think some of the minute changes have either been done in order to appeal to a more general audience or like the Mafalda Hopkirk letter, whatever. Right. Um, I do like the pudding falling on Mrs. Mason as well. But I think, again, it works better in a movie setting. It's a little bit more comedic, etc. So, yeah. <laughs> All right.
right. So moving into my house points for this episode. Again, this is a pretty easy episode. I think it's going to be getting a little bit more interesting in the future chapters. Mm -hmm. Negative 20 points to Petunia and to Vernon. I mean, we've already talked about this. This is the lowest of the low for them thus far, but I also really do think throughout the whole series. So negative 20 to both of them. Plus 10 to Harry, again, obvious. Plus five to Dobby. And I do think it's because of the perspective. Yes, Dobby is very fucking irritating throughout this book and absolutely in this chapter. But when you really look at where he's coming from and what his intentions are, I think it's all very much uh, because he has a pure heart. I don't think it is in any way to be malicious. We talked a lot about this, but I think it's really a good point to compare and contrast the Malfoys versus the Dursleys here and what Dobby sees in his day-to-day -day life and how he um, approaches Harry. Only five to Dobby because he's still annoying. And then also, plus five to Ron. This is the biggest lead that he's had yet in this entire basic snitches journey. Um, <laughs> he is like right behind Harry and tied with Dobby. So so he's top tier at the moment. Top but, like, tier, Ron Weasley. At this moment, like we've never been so happy to see Ron. He's coming to rescue Harry. And like, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the next chapter, but I think it, going a little bit into the Weasley's journey will be pretty interesting so so to recap that's negative 20 to petunia and to vernon separately plus 10 to harry plus 5 to dobby and plus 5 to ron and that's chapter two chapter two next time join us for oh, chapter three the burrow the burrow fuck yes i oh, am so excited yes. for this chapter it's great in the first book it took us a while to get to Diagon Alley, and here we are already getting to the borough, which is maybe one of my, if not my favorite, new introductions of this book. Of course, things like Moaning Myrtle and Dueling Club and things like that will be very, and Herbology, but the borough is pretty beloved, so looking forward to seeing that. So we'll see you next time. Yeah. And by see, I mean talk to you because you, we can't see you. Well, but we know you're out there to listening. Because you're not talking to us, but. Feel you free to talk I mean. to us. Send us a message on yeah. all of our social platforms. Or email us. Or, or email. when you're listening to this, mm -hmm. feel free to talk aloud to us in the car. We won't hear you, but I'm sure it'll feel good. But listen, I've been known to do that shit to other podcasts, mm -hmm. so I would not hold that against you. I talk aloud in the car a lot, but usually it's screaming in other cars. So I talk to myself. <laughs> Period. That's and on that note, we'll see you later. We'll see you later. Have a blessed day. We're gonna sober up now. Okay, bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, snitches! snitches.